Hey guys, welcome to the Cool Christian Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Centeno. On this podcast is where I get to ask questions like the nerd that I can be, looking to learn from the cool Christian nerds I know around me that have something to teach. Now let's dig in. And now I'm here with Bill Crispin. Bill Crispin is a graduate of Westminster. He's also a church planner. Uh, there's a, a, a group, an organization that he helped facilitate and organize and oversee, and that's Common Grace, along with uh, being instrumental in uh, the Center of Urban Theological Seminary, CUTS, a book that, that was just released, I believe it was a year ago, mm-hmm. Place Matters, a great book on how, well, you have to read it for yourself, and he's been in over 50 years in urban ministry, born and raised in North Chicago, but yet he's here. So what we're going to be talking about is just what the theological training looks like in the inner city, the urban scene. Um, but I want to start with just thanking you for being here, Bill. Yeah. Great, so great, great to have you here. here. Yeah. yeah. And you're, you aren't a Philly native. So share how you got to Philly and what made you actually stay. Well, I, I came to Philadelphia I from Chicago. I grew up in the north side of Chicago in, in what, by the time I was a teenager, was was the center of the Latino community in, in the north side of Chicago, the largely Puerto Rican community. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my last years there, our, uh, we were the only Anglo family on the block. So, okay. So, so uh, and I grew up in, uh, in a Christian home, and... Uh, God was slowly nurturing my heart with a calling for urban ministry. Mm-hmm. So when I came to se- uh, seminary, I, I found uh, honestly I found seminary stifling. Okay. And in my second year, after my first year, I was going crazy. So I said I have to, I I've got to get involved in ministry some way. And I was had the opportunity to get uh, do an internship at Tenth Presbyterian Church in Center City. Uh, uh, for a, a, a full year's internship there, and I was accepted into that, and I began uh, laboring there. But the pastor there at the time, uh, his name was Mariano DeGangi, uh learned of my interest in urban ministry and said, uh, there's a dying church in South Philly that uh, is almost... They should close, but they haven't yet because there's an elderly woman who uh, carries on a youth youth ministry in the church. And the doors are open because of what she's doing, but she does it all by herself. She has no workers. Well, I went down there and and Hannah ended up discipling me in in, uh, uh, street youth. Wow. Uh, She was was 75 years old, an elderly white woman who uh, was always dressed uh, elegantly and including high heel shoes. And there she was with 200 kids from the neighborhood on the street, uh, carrying on this youth ministry. And, and they had all kinds of crafts and all kinds of things. She did a single handle. She had no outside helpers, all by herself. And uh, they even had a, an, a, a terrible gymnasium room, but uh, where they could have, the boys would play basketball. Uh-huh. And she would sometimes referee the games. Oh, wow. And in her high heel shoes. Mm. <laughs> and she, uh, she knew nothing about basketball, absolutely zero. And she had a whistle, and she'd stand in the middle of the floor, and she would. There, she had two rules: you may not trip, and you may not hit. Okay. If you do, I will give. 
uh, penalty shots based on the severity of the offense. She was known to give 10 shots. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> yeah, that's a deterrent. <laughs> but she, but uh, she loved them, those kids. And, and she had complete control when she would gather them together for her, her nightly uh, Bible study. Bible study. Yeah. All that she had to do was hold up one finger and the room would get silent. It's amazing. And she would minister God's word and she, she over time had uh, developed a, 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 a discipling system where she would disciple the teenagers who would then disciple the middle schoolers who then would disciple the elementary school kids. Wow. Because they were all there together in a given right. night. And uh, it was amazing. There, I know of eight pastors who were discipled to the pastorate through that ministry. What I'm hearing in the story, too, is how there's these moments where there was this void or this vacuum that was created. And in those moments, a lot of people can just kind of go with where it's trending away from. But those who choose to step into the void and the vacuum, actually there's these God opportunities that get oh, created from that. No, absolutely. Your story and even that devastating moment in you know Philadelphia's history with all the gangs and what have you. So I want to I want to ask you this question: from from what you've seen from that time to this time, I'm guessing you've seen a lot of the spiritual landscape change throughout oh, the years. Enormously. Where you know maybe things were a little bit more hostile and things are a little bit more accepting. Whatever. Um, how would you describe those shifts and changes? In the spiritual landscape of our city, well, there's several there are several things that come to mind uh, in the middle of that. As I said to you, the the uh, '60s was the time of of uh, many mostly white churches leaving the city as the city changed racially. Yeah, uh, and of course, 1970 marks the beginning of the long decline of population. It was the, in 1970 population in Philly was two million. Mm-hmm. And currently, it's 1.58 million. They could, and and the big thing that changed was that uh, churches started drawing their people from a larger geography. Gotcha. One of the things you have to realize when you look at all these old church buildings in Philadelphia, uh, some of them, some of them sit six, seven, eight hundred people, no parking. They didn't need it because they didn't need it. Everybody walked. Everybody walked. <laughs> wow. Right. So. So now, they, it's almost impossible to get that 800 people in one of those because there's no place for them to park. Right. Because they might not be coming from the neighborhood if they started. Well, they'll probably the, come the, from the outskirts. I, I would say the reality is the big shift has happened is that uh, the, all, the, the city suburbanized at the same time that the uh, suburbs started to urbanize. Hmm. And what I, what I mean by that is the car made them more mobile so that you... You, you worked in a different neighborhood than you lived. You shopped in yet another different neighborhood. You had to go to a, 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 a maybe three, four neighborhoods over to get to the doctor. It changed the whole way everybody functioned. So people began to worship at the church of their preference. And so that churches began to become more regional in their draw. And, and the idea of people walk the, the population of the church walking to church is is a memory only to the very elderly. Mm. They're the only ones who know that. Right. And because of that, as I say in my book, uh, Space Matter, Place, Place, Matter. Place Matters, mm-hmm. is that 
you, I, one of the things I do with churches is I say, give me your church directory. I want to put them on a map to see where they live. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes there's a, there's a hole in the middle and that's where the church is located and nobody lives there from the church. Mm. They're from all these outs, outlying areas. Wow. And uh, usually the pastor and the other leaders of the church live outside that circle and, they, and the very fact that they do that gives people permission to live there. Right. Wow. That's a big deal. So uh, so I, I started observing this and, and I began to ask the question, so where's the face of Christ on the streets here? Right. It's nowhere to be found. Hmm. You ask people in the block where a church building is located, can you tell me about this church down here? They said, oh, they only come in on Sunday. We don't see them. They don't know, even know we're here. Wow. And I said... That, that's 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 a problem. And what what I, I can tell you is that with the decline of the population of the city, we saw the, the decline of the church begin. 1970, uh, uh, the 40% of the people in the city went to church two or three times a month at least. Today it's under 10%. Yeah. And uh, and just, you know, the only time that you can drive fast through Philly is on Sunday morning. Because <laughs> everybody's in church. Every, well, they're not in church. church. Or home. They're at home sleeping. Yeah, yeah. They're at home sleeping. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, so there's been this rapid decline of the church tied to its regionalization and its failure to engage the communities where they're located. And uh, and it and it spread throughout the whole city. Yeah, you know. And so, I would say today, my guess I don't have hard evidence on this, but churches are dying faster than new ones come. Hmm. And the reality is, what happened with the the shift to more regional churches is they they become more specific demographic focus. They reach a generation of people. And the prevailing model of the day is young, most church planters are young, mm-hmm. who reach their generation and then grow old together. Right. And so the life cycle of a church today is not multi-generational, it's single generational. Is that repeating a pattern though, of what we've seen is just seeing old, Churches that are old now once once were young, right? And they were kind of like they did the same thing. They just kind of grew <clears throat> up together and maybe became more um, internal than external. And yeah. well, yeah, yeah, yes and no. The you know, nineteen seventy, most churches had multiple generations in them. Okay, uh, but that nineteen sixty to nineteen seventy marked the shift of people. Children of, of families no longer were looking for homes where their fam- their parents lived yep. during that time. But what, so in the 60s and 70s, the children of, of the older generation in churches started living at a distance from their parents. That was a new thing. Mm. Many of them started going to the suburbs. And with that, they, they, they slowly left the mother church. Right. And those churches now, 
if they were going to reach younger generation, they had to reach the new younger generation that was there, not their younger generation. Right. So, so, and oh. they did very poorly with that. Right. And so those churches started dying. Mm. Now, what's happening, this whole cultural shift keeps accelerating because now the average person in Philadelphia will live in four or five houses in their lifetime. They'll move. They'll sell, buy another house, move up the ladder, whatever, for, for convenience or whatever they want to do. Right. And so, and their kids, the kids aren't going to live near them. They're not, they're not coming home to go to, to the mother church. You know, that's a very small number of people. So it's kind of nomadic in a lot of ways when it comes to like having that home-based church. So the church becomes like they they might live somewhere, then it becomes an inconvenience to co continue to attend that place of worship, and so they'll just find something a little bit more convenient, even though it still might be a commute. Is that is that yeah. what's kind of happening? Yeah, that's wow. right. Well, now now they 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 do more boutique shopping. They say, yeah, what 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 church has the program that I want? Right, right. And and when you're got teenagers, you 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 look for youth ministry. Uh, yep. You know, or you, if you're into music, you want to get to the church with the best music and yep. you know, all all the wrong reasons. But right, right. <laughs> that's that's what's that's, happened. That's right. So it's changed the church dramatically, tied to the shifts in the larger culture. Uh, Driven by the automobile, largely. Mm -hmm. You know, the Schuylkill Expressway opened in 1961. And it was 62, I think, when the Roosevelt Boulevard got connected into it. Okay. So before that, it was a lazy boulevard. Uh, but with that, with that opening up, it became linked into this, into the Schuylkill thing. And people now start having mobility. Right. Before that time, there were, there were no fast ways through. You know how fast you can drive down streets in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's not, it's not a very pleasant experience for most people. No. So, so that began to change. And with that, people began to flow. And they, now, now their patterns of life began to change. And with that, the church was changing too. How so? How was the cha church changing? Well, they, they were, like I said, they were, became regional churches. Okay. And regional churches, when they were neighborhood churches, you saw the people in the church during the week. Yeah. Today they don't. People are just coming in for building. They're not coming for because they're part of the community. That's right. Yeah. And that that was a, that was one of the very biggest shifts that changed the face of the church, because now you go to a church, uh, ninety percent of the people don't know each other. Hmm. They don't see each other except. For at church, and and they probably only know a handful of the people who sit near them because they all sit in the same place every week, and they get to know those people. Mm -hmm. But you don't to say that I know the people in this church. Not not so. Wow. So so that cha that changed the face of ministry big time, and uh, and the church followed the demographic shift in the in the city. Mm -hmm. The city the city was this was happening. In the city, and the church nearly became a, 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 a unintended consequence of that, but it changed the face of the church radically. So, you were really instrumental in bringing the Center of Urban Theological Seminary, which is cuts here in Philadelphia, uh, and you. We were just talking about that a, a little while ago. Is is what what was the reason for bringing that here? Um, is there something you saw happening? in other urban areas that you thought, man, cuts would be a great thing to make 
theology accessible to those who are wor working or working with youth in the urban sector? Or, yeah, what was it? Was it a unique endeavor or something that you just saw somewhere well, that you thought would be duplicated? Again, it was not my idea. Did okay. It did not come from me. It came from that pastor's group that started the Christian school. Okay. Uh, and uh, we started the school. We incidentally, that school was at 9th and Lehigh. What was it like elementary or was it, was it? elementary school? Okay. K, K through six the first year. Uh, and we landed up expanding to having three schools that ultimately became separate schools. But, uh, but the, the, the prayer group became the board of that school. Okay. And I was, I was a part of that group. And I was the only full-time guy in this group. Hmm. So I got the, even though I, I thought this was the craziest idea that you could come up with. Okay. It happened in three weeks. Uh, I became the feet for the project because I was the only one available during the day. <laughs> and uh, so we get, and that school happened in three weeks. Well, now they're the board, and they, now we meet monthly, we talk about education. Mm -hmm. And uh, within a matter of just four or five months, they started shifting the conversation to leadership training. Mm. And I learned from them that they, because they were all bivocational pastors, none of them had college uh, degrees. None of them had gone to seminary. They, they, their training was largely apprenticeship within the church, mm -hmm. uh, coupled with uh, an evening Bible Institute, like Deliverance Bible Institute, and a Bible Institute. And you're the one guy there that it was, you were so glad to be at a seminary. That's right. And these guys had never um, gone to seminary. Right. And so you're almost by default the guy to make it happen. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> and they said, they said, you know, we need we need further trade because they were facing lots of challenges in the church at that time. Uh, the Black Power movement was going on, and all kinds of the, the the divide in the church racially was was becoming a major issue as as all these churches are leaving the city. Yeah, and uh, they said. Uh, you know, you, you're the only one who was going to seminary. You can get your seminary to come and do something here. Okay. And I said, well, you don't know what you're asking. Mm -hmm. that, that will never happen. Westminster Seminary doesn't even know Philadelphia's here. Wow. <laughs> is what I said. <laughs> even though it's right there on the line. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but they prevailed on me. And, and like the persistent widow yeah. uh, <laughs> at the door of the unjust <laughs> judge, yeah. uh, they prevailed. And finally, I said, okay, I'll arrange a meeting. And I, I called the seminary and said, can, can you designate somebody to come and meet with this group of pastors who are looking for some training to enhance what they're doing in ministry? And they appointed two to come that came. They met at the Christian school on, on 9th and Lehigh. And uh, providentially, God, God did a, uh, this is one of those God moments. Yeah. I had convinced these guys that this was going to be an uphill battle. So when we come together, uh, the leader of, the, of these pastors says, we need to begin with prayer. And he gets down on his knees. Everybody, and you know, Presbyterians don't do that. Right, so, okay. So, <laughs> so, so, but they got down on their knees too, and, and they prayed for 45 minutes. Wow. And uh, when we got up from prayer, one thing was clear. We were brothers together in that room. Wow. Because we saw their heart for each one's heart for God. Mm. And without any prompting, the, the two representatives of the seminary said, 
what would you what would you ask of us? And they said, we just want classes to help us answer the big questions we're facing. Hmm. So we started out as a, sem a Saturday seminar, uh, one topic a week mm -hmm. that would come from the pastors. The pastors became the steering committee. Mm -hmm. uh, after a year, they said, you're, you're just teasing us. You're giving us little appetizers, but you know, you're teasing us. We want the real thing. Right. Well, they said, well, you haven't gone to college, so we can't give you the real thing. But we'll teach you some more advanced courses. So we transitioned into uh, the Westminster Ministerial Institute. Mm -hmm. But as they went through that, they said, you're still not giving us the real thing. We want the real thing. They said, well, if you're going to get the real thing, you got to get college. So that's, that's what led to the start of CUTS. CUTS was started separate from Westminster to create the, the college opportunity for these group of bivocational uh, pastors who only had high school. Just probably boosted their competence and confidence in oh, getting future. behind the pulpit and being able to interact with other people in that way. Yeah, and what was interesting, you know, at the time that we started, there were maybe 5% of uh, pastors in the African-American community who had a college degree, mm -hmm. similar to the Latino community. Mm -hmm. uh, many of those pastor, the pastors that didn't have college uh, didn't even have high school. They, they, they went to Bible school, non-formal evening Bible school, got, right. got Bible knowledge. Uh, and what was interesting, we decided when we started CUTS that we would focus on pastors. Mm -hmm. So the first several years, all, you had to be a pastor to be in the program. And we did that because pastors weren't going to let the people get ahead of them. Yeah. And, and so, but once they got their, their education, now they want their other leaders to have it. Right. So by doing that, we shifted the educational culture of the church. And I would say that today, uh, 40, 50 percent of all the pastors in the African-American community have college. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, most of those also have master's degrees. Today. So that, and that was not the case in 1970. Now, you, you mentioned Lancaster Bible College are doing something here. My question is, is there, I, I don't know. In, in your opinion, is there a current deficit in urban theological training such as what CUT specifically did? Or is the Lancaster Bible College doing that? Are there other ones doing that? Or, yeah, is there anything currently happening that helps with not, this? Not, not at the level that's needed. Okay. It's, it remains a huge need. You know, um, CUTS has an undergraduate program. Well, Lancaster College, Bible College in, in Philly has inherited the CUTS program, and so they're, they're continuing to do that. But the rank and file, I mean, if you just know the educational accomplishment, high school f completion in Philadelphia, 75% of Latinos don't finish high school. Mm. African-Americans are over over 60%. Mm. So, so, and many of those don't become Christians or believers until they're in their 30s. Mm -hmm. And schooling seems to be a distant Nightmare. Thought. Yeah, <laughs> I thought. Nightmare. So, so yeah. they, so what do what do they do? Well, we need we need to meet these folks where they're at, in order to get them to where they want to go. Right. And and so building confidence is a huge part of the process. They're very able. They I mean, if you know their lives and how they're how they advance on their jobs and all the, mm -hmm. you know, the, these are these are committed, competent people, who don't believe they who don't believe they are. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that hurdle remains, you know, all kinds of college programs are now available in the city at night for the haves. Mm 
for the ones who already have. Mm. There's, there's not much there for those who don't have. So with that being said, what do you see the future of theological training looking like in urban sectors? Is there a way it needs to evolve with the times? Um, are those things that you're exploring or people are talking about? Just, yeah, what does that look like? Um, what work then might look different now? How do you see that? Well, you know, most most pastors in in ethnic communities and in the African American community were trained as apprentices in the church. They they came under an experienced guy who who gave them what they had and and gave them opportunities to serve, and they, they grew through that. Uh, now more and more are, are able. There's more and more access to formal stuff. Uh, Less today at master's level than we had in the past. Eastern Seminary used to have uh, a much larger urban population in, in an evening program than they do today. Uh, the one seminary that's making the concerted effort today is, is uh, Biblical Seminary, which is now called Missio, who, who wants to move into the city and become more of an urban-centered training program. But that hasn't happened yet. I mean, they're, they're, that's their their vision, but right. uh, but all the other seminaries are are not not connected well into the city networks to be a real resource to them, mm-hmm. and and uh, the same same is true at the undergraduate level. You know the uh, the the Lancaster College program is probably the only viable one specifically for ministry leaders in the city. And it's it's only touching the tip of the iceberg, yeah. so there's a vast need for this, and you know you got the Latino community got Esperanza College, which is a junior college, mm-hmm. and but they've been focused mostly on the younger generation rather than the the uh, leadership community in the church. Right. So there's enormous opportunity. Now, are there any current things happening in the city that you're excited about that are in the works we talked a lot about the cuts in the educational part but what 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 are things right now making you excited about what's happening in the city well you know philadelphia is diversifying ethnically Uh, the latest uh, pew report came out uh, at the beginning of the week uh, end of last week said that the the foreign-born percentage in philadelphia is uh, now 15.8 percent but 20-some percent of the families in Philadelphia have at least one foreign-born parent. Hmm. So that number is growing dramatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number, and the, there's also one of the largest unreached people group is the biracial group in, in the city, which is, which is growing more rapidly than any other population group. Right. Uh, 20% of all the kids are today born in the families are biracial. So it's, uh, and, it, and it's growing. Mm-hmm. So that, that's an opportunity. But uh, the demographic of the city as a whole is getting younger because of all the millennials that are choosing to live in the city. And uh, churches are dying like flies, but there's a whole, there's a couple major movements of new churches developing. Uh, number one would be the ethnic churches. Uh, most Christians don't believe me when I say this, but I can give you a list. You, know, you can worship in 70 languages in Philly on Sunday. Wow. 
and most people can get up to three or four. Uh, but you know, if you know all the subsets, you know they're they're here. How, how does that compare to other cities? Do you? Do you oh, know? Well, other cities. New York is 120 of them. Okay. You can worship on a train like so we're, we're, we're really L- L.A. Would be, would be comparable in New York. Okay, okay. Uh, but but Philly's, Philly's probably in the top five, six cities yeah. in America for that. So, so and, and most of the ethnic church planting uh, is first generational, usually drawing leadership from their home country, uh, and uh, is basically invisible to the Anglo church. Anglo church doesn't even know they exist. Uh, and most Christians don't know they exist, but they're, they're all over, they're all over. You know, Oxford Circle area uh, is the most diverse zip code in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, I have found 16 different languages in the churches in, in, in Oxford Circle. Wow. So, and I don't pretend to say that I have all of them. Mm-hmm. No, there's just so many of them. But that's there. a lot, yeah. A lot, lot there. And um, the, other, the other phenomenon is uh, the emergence of millennial churches. Uh, there, there are now approximately 100 churches among the millennial generation in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And some of those churches are the, the, the fastest growing churches in the city. Mm-hmm. And they, they, some of them are seminary grads. But a lot of them are not. The largest one, uh, it, it, the pastor didn't go to college and didn't go to seminary. Mm-hmm. He's a blue-collar guy, but the church is mostly college grads. Mm-hmm. Defies defies logic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a very effective communicator, and so this church is there. So uh, and some very interesting new models of ministry coming up. Mm-hmm. They're much more tech savvy, so that. You know, there's churches that uh, uh, broadcast to some satellite sites. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, the challenge is, is that because they're so focused on the millennial generation that they don't think multi-generational, which they're going to have to do because they're not going to. There's a, there's another generation coming behind them very rapidly. And, and uh, don't forget them as you run fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the challenge. Wow. Now, last question is uh, just on a personal side. I've been asking the different uh, people that I've interviewed about in this Philly special, just about how what what is that one special thing that Philly has going on that you're just like that's that's what I love about this city. I love that this is that special thing that you can get here that you might not get everywhere else. Anything come to mind? Well, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, Philly, Philly has a very rich history and culture. That's right, yeah. And, uh, and many special places because of the neighborhood character of the city. So as a place to live, uh, there, there's, there's, there can't possibly be a day that you can't find something interesting to do. Right. You, know, you know, Philly has the, the most parkland of any city in America, hmm. which, which people... Say what? Hmm. Uh, you know, Fairmont Park is the largest city park in, in America. Yeah. And uh, everybody says, well, isn't it Central Park? I said, just the Wissigan Valley portion of it, which is only a, a fourth of it, mm-hmm. is, lar- is twice as large as Central Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and and it's totally rugged. I mean, you can yes. you can walk the trails <laughs> and you can go fishing. You'll see deer and yep. you know. I mean, where, where what major city can you do that within a ten minute drive? Right. Culturally, it's rich. Mm -hmm. The arts and the music and the, the the whole scene is just a vibrant place, and it's a place of rich uh, of rich spiritual heritage. And the uh, so there's a diversity of churches in Philly that you don't find in other places. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not defined by any one group, mm. so so it's a very fertile place. And because it's such a dynamic, changing place. Uh, as a as a city lover, I, I keep try to keep up with that, and it's it just continues to blow me out of the water of of how things shift and why they shift mm -hmm. and where it's headed, and uh, it just presents marvelous opportunities for new ministries. Yeah, if we'll if we'll if we'll but see the the vision and see the opportunities that are in front of us. Yep. Well, well said. So glad to have you here today, Bill, and it was very educational and helpful. I'm sure our viewers uh, took a lot of notes, and there's a lot to think about and talking about uh, everything that we shared. And there's probably so much more that we could talk about, but we fit in a lot during this time. So thank you again for your time and being here. Well, it's been, thank you for having me. It's been a real blessing. Well, thanks for joining us. And that's our time for this week's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Cool Christian Nerd Podcast, where you can get your digital discipleship fix. Till next time.